Hey, everybody. Good afternoon and good morning, depending on where you're joining from. My name is Jason Brand, and I'm the Director of Outreach and Partner Development here at Supply Chain Solutions. So if you're new to our show, thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a returning viewer, I know you've heard it. We've been talking about it. We're making some changes to the show. You kind of probably get the idea. But for a quick recap, we are going to be looking to get these shows right around the 15-minute length. And, um, you know, we were really having some fun on some of these episodes. We were getting up to the 50-minute mark at times. And even when we tried to shorten the show up the first week, it was like 28 minutes. So our goal is 15 minutes. Make it quick and easy. You can review the show after lunch and then uh, get back into the rest of the workday. Or we've got the podcast version so you can listen to your car, listen to it in your car on the way home or in the morning, whatever works best. Anyway, uh, we've got a, uh, so without further delay, let's get this thing going. We've got a fun show for today. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the market trends. So that means what are our customers paying currently? What were the trends that led up to this point so far in 2023? And what are some of the big factors we're expecting for 2024? So before we dive into all these juicy details, we want to quick tell you a little bit about who we are. So myself and Anthony D'Ambrosio, we both represent Supply Chain Solutions, and we are a West Michigan-based logistics provider that now has offices all across the world. We've got full-time associates on the ground in Asia. We've got offices in Mexico and Central America, and quite literally across the U.S. And the goal behind our company and what we've become today is to become a truly one-stop shop for your company's shipping needs. And that literally means We've got every link in the chain covered, but beyond that, it's kind of been our goal to really specifically engineer each of those links or each of those segments for each of our clients to make sure it's the right fit. And that means you could be just having inventory challenges locally, and we're able to help you out with our expertise. Or if you're looking to make international shipping less of a strain on your organization, and you want to be more cost competitive, that's also an area where we are excellent in. So make sure you reach out to us, give us a call, see what we have done for other customers in the area and around the nation, if not, not to mention around the world, but also some of the cool stuff we're working on. Because now we have a suite of software that is supporting our technologies, but also supporting the visibility and just the knowledge you and your teams can have updated to you live. So give us a call. Uh, now, today, the meat of our discussion. We are going to start off talking about our big shipping lanes. And, you know, our actual goal today was to talk about the ocean market and the air market. But after putting pen to paper this week, it became very, very clear. Uh, these two areas need to be separated if we want to have any ability to stick with our timeline. So we're going to break it down today just into the ocean shipping markets. Um, we're going to talk about specifically our Trans-Pacific and Transatlantic lanes. And then next week, we weren't going to have a show. This is going to be the last one for this year, but we're going to do an air show. Um, we'll send it out via email. So just make sure you register for that so you can listen to it a little bit sooner than Thursday. Um, and yeah, so let's get this show on the road. Make sure you register, though. Make sure you include your email because we're going to need that to send this show out. So keeping with our normal format, we're going to start off with our Trans-Pacific lane which are our ocean shipments that are leaving China and Southeast Asia, and they're heading into the North American West Coast ports. So last week, the ocean portion of shipments on this lane, it hit a short-term record as far as low in cost goes, but it's important to remember this is not a record low for the year. Currently, our customers were paying under $1,600 per 40-foot container unit as of last week. And, you know, 
to get an idea of really what that 1600 means in the grand scheme of ocean shipping costs, specifically when we're looking at 2023, let's take a journey back to January 1st. Now, bear with me here because I'm going to make this a little more complicated. Since, you know, talking to our customers, also talking to our team members, we've had quite a unique year compared to last year. And it can be a little hard to remember some of the true chaos we were experiencing back in 2022. So to illustrate this, what I want to do is quick compare our Trans-Pacific lane, the lane I'm discussing right now with the 1600 current cost for the ocean portion, to our Transatlantic lane, which remember, our Transatlantic lane is our Europe to North American East Coast lane. So in 2022, we were seeing shipping, shipping costs at a minimum of five times higher than they are this year. And that was just the minute of minimum because in reality, most shipments were costing closer to 10 times more. And the highest we saw were some lanes, which for brief periods were as much as 20 times higher than their average, which is just completely mind boggling. So we have covered this in depth over the course of this year, but it is important to remember that the reason why I'm doing this comparing the Trans-Pacific to the Transatlantic lane is the Transatlantic lane was the single lane that held on to these hugely inflated prices longer than any other lane did on the planet. And they held on to some of that. They were already starting to decrease, but they were still hugely inflated at the beginning of this year on January 1st. Um, so if you were importing from Europe um, and you were coming into the U.S. East Coast ports or really the North American East Coast ports, you were paying nearly $7,000 back on January 1st for that shipment. In contrast, the Trans-Pacific or our China to Southeast Asia, and that's China and Southeast Asia to our North American West Coast lane had already been showing substantial weakness prior to the beginning of 2023. So if we roll back and discuss a little bit of this, so in China, there were blackouts happening across the manufacturing sectors during October and November of last year. There was also a new COVID variant that had China instituting new forms of quarantine. This was happening without these throughout these manufacturing regions. They were particularly harsh on the trucking sector, but also on the air terminals and the ports. So that also kind of was causing a stubbed toe effect on shipping rates and also volumes near the end of 2022. And when you compare that to the much later than usual starting Chinese New Year, because generally speaking during Chinese New Year, we see that shutdown, which after peak season, we see a little blip in ocean rates and ocean volume come, coming up as um, a lot of companies are trying to get their shipments in prior to that shutdown of China. But because it was later than usual, you really saw a drop off at the end of the year. Now, let's do that comparison. So Transatlantic was $7,000 just for the ride on the boat. That is not your full shipment. That is just your boat ride. And that was Europe to the US or North American East Coast lane. Say that a thousand times fast. Say that 10 times fast. Now in comparison, the Trans-Pacific, it started off the year with a rate that's lower than it is now. That rate was 1,500 per 40 foot equivalent unit. Remember, these are just comparing the boat rides, not your full shipment. Now, that is the reason why I wanted to compare those two because the 1,500 and January 1st, doesn't do a really good job of showing the chaos and the costs of 2022, but that 7,000 gives a little bit closer of an insight as to what costs really were just a little bit prior to the end of the year. You did see in December some really, really steep falls um, with lanes all over the globe, except for the U.S. East Coast. 
and or the imports from Europe into the U.S. East Coast. And, uh, you know, it was already going down, but it, you know, it's still very, very inflated. Now, if we um, focus, let's kind of let's kind of push the transatlantic off the side. Let's focus on our Asian inbound into the U.S. West Coast, into the North American West Coast. And fifteen hundred was just at the start of the year, but it really wasn't until the rate hit an all-time low of around twelve hundred dollars that the lane's GRI efforts started to kick in. So GRI, remember, general rate increase. They started to have an effect. Um, there actually was GRIs prior to that, but they just kind of fizzled out. When we uh, hit that historic low of twelve hundred, they really started to kind of kick into gear. And um, the first one that kicked in and really made some effects was on April 15th of, of 2023. And it was a $400 GRI. The next one was June 1st. It was a $300 GRI. And both of which saw costs pretty quickly decline afterwards. And then once you hit June 1st, we saw monthly GRIs all the way through um, throughout the summer. And those really kept that inflated. So at the same time, there was the April, uh, when you think back to the April GRI, when it was that kind of extremely large one, the $400 GRI, the West Coast wasn't fully wrapped up with their ILW contract negotiation. Actually, if you go back to that time period, that was right around when the contract was actually getting signed. And we had all of these final just issues that occurred, slowdowns, um, shutdowns in one instance. And so it was really getting pretty bad. And the discussions because of this on the U.S. West Coast and because the, the negotiation took so long, the East Coast kind of started to get involved and started their negotiations as well. Um, and that's kind of, you know, by June, what we saw is much of the shippers, you know, we had that signed contract on the West Coast. You had these incredibly low rates up to that point. GRIs were sort of sticking, but really not very much. And just to give you an example, so you had the $400 GRI bringing you up from $1,200 to like $1,650. Um, you know, actually, quite frankly, it was around that range. And pretty much within three weeks after each GRI, it'd be back down to roughly $1,300. So dropped down to $1,300. Then you had that following GRI, which was for $300, dropped back down to around $1,300. And at this point, the contract was signed. You had the Coast talking about their upcoming contract negotiation with the ILA. And then you saw just a flock of shippers that had moved their volume over to the East Coast and also the Gulf ports. And now it was shifting it back over to the West Coast. So that quickly, quickly degraded the price of the East Coast and then quickly kind of padded the volume numbers and also the, uh, the cost for the shipments on the West Coast. It almost happened at the perfect time. And um, you know, in a way, it really tricked a lot of analysts into viewing this as a freight recovery when it just really was a shifting back of a lot of the freight and the volume. At the beginning of September, on the West Coast, we had rate levels sitting at around 2200 and holding roughly um, just for a few weeks. Then it was just following a final kind of summer GRI, which was a small GRI in comparison, held for a little bit. Then you kind of started the trickling down. Um, the next GRI was actually all the way in November. And at that point, rates had fallen from the 2200 all the way down to the 1600. And you can kind of zoom in to now where we're at with rates, again, right below 1600. Um, that's been a kind of a, a pretty clear sign too. The, the gravity or the comfortable point of this lane is really around the 1600 point. And we're really in a different realm. And we have been in a different realm in this lane since that 
that volume that normally would have been going into the U.S. West Coast came back over to the West Coast. The only reason it shifted was the fear of slowdown. And so um, you can kind of see it wants to be at 1600, even though 1600, given all of the new cost factors and actually just historically looking prior to 2019, is far too low for that land as a price. But that's just right now where supply and demand has said it's comfortable and it likely will stay. Um, now, let's move over to the transatlantic. And I gave a couple spoilers on this lane, but that's totally okay. Now, remember, our transatlantic lanes are the ones where we're importing from Europe and we're coming into the North American East Coast port terminals. So right now, as of last week, if you're shipping a 40-foot container, the ocean portion, so your ocean portion line item, is going to cost you right around 1300 At least that's what it was for our customers. Now, it's not the lowest we've seen, um, but... Honestly, if you graph out the year, it's pretty close to the lowest. And, um, you know, if you look at the averages over the course of the year, you, you see that this lane actually wants to be more comfortably at a $1,300 point. Um, very, very different, stark different when you look over the course of the year at our East Coast, Europe coming into the East Coast versus the China and Southeast Asia coming into the West Coast. It's, it's actually very interesting. So, you know, at the beginning of the year, obviously we started out at that $7,000 point, but going forward, Anthony and I really discussed how predictable this land was. Out of all of the major, out of all the major shipping lanes, this one was becoming very predictable and it was marked by a slow and steady decrease in price. And, you know, we did have kind of a change in the slope of the decrease, so to speak, especially you really see it when you graph it out. But, um, you know, when it was noticed that the cost was very overinflated. And then when the West Coast became a viable option that was going to be free of disruption because of the contract negotiations, then really what happened is this, this movement of shippers switching gears accelerated the decrease of the East Coast prices. Um, you know, it, really what ended up happening is you had this kind of reverse of general rate increases. You saw these general rate decreases as the lane kind of quickly tried to write itself in the supply and demand scale. But quite frankly, it was it was way too late and really not enough as we've seen now at the 1300. Now this is really, when you, when you actually look at the cost per mile of this lane, this is not the cheapest cost per mile lane in the world. The cheapest cost per mile lane was last year, or excuse me, <laughs> last year, last month, um, looking at specifically the China, Southeast Asia, going through the Suez over to Europe. That was definitely the cheapest cost per mile. And that normally isn't. Um, it has some more flexibility because those lanes have a lot more stops along the way. So, um, you know, if you compare it to the transatlantic, yes, you can have multiple stops, but you're pretty, uh, <laughs> you're just running the coast at that point. So a little bit different when you're thinking about the China, Southeast Asia going all the way through and then um, up to the Suez. Now, as I discussed those ILA discussions, they really, you know, they started off this year with a pretty heated battle and it was with the Georgia Port Authority. And the one of the main arguing points was this. The, so the Georgia Port Authority actually set up certain facilities and got them blessed by the government to be not entirely union facilities. So there are contracts set up in place where they're able to hire non-union associates for certain jobs. That has kind of become the arguing point with the ILA. That was a huge arguing point. Um, now, Georgia has been adequately fighting this battle and quite frankly, they've been winning. Um, and this is also kind of, kind of boiled over in a series of legal battles. 
But, you know, there has been some bruises in the process, and it's going to be interesting to see where all of this ends up. But as we enter 2024, we're already looking at the ILA announcing that they have intentions to strike if certain contract conditions aren't met. And, um, you know, that's not good. That's not good for an unstable lane that has lower volume than normal. And so, you know, having history repeated itself on the West Coast already with the prior contract negotiation, and remember, we're not looking at this one, we're looking at the one before, causing a roughly 30% slowdown and a lot of disruption. And then this time again, causing a lot of disruption. And granted, this was definitely because of the negotiations, but also because of some other factors. It would be foolish to think that the ILA already announcing intentions to strike and the East Coast being already kind of a, a lower volume, way oversupplied lane at this point, it'd be foolish to think it wouldn't deal with disruption. And also the East Coast has some other factors that really harm its ability to um, it, just to have the same throughput as the West Coast. Now, so that's kind of 2023. Let's kind of discuss what are the big trends going into 2024, the things that we know for relative certain and you really need to keep in mind. Um, I'm going to lay this out and just some basic bullet points. So we are expecting demand is likely going to grow by 2.5% but will be outpaced by supply. And we've talked about this a few times, but we're expecting container ship line, um, new vessels entering the market will equal a increase in supply of roughly six and a half percent. So we're expecting a demand growth of roughly two and a half percent and an increase of supply by roughly six and a half percent. Now, this is partially due to this fact, but we are expecting spot rates to remain pretty volatile through most of the year. Um, carriers will be, increasing spot rates through a lot of smart capacity management and general rate increases. And it's likely going to mimic kind of what we saw over the course of 2023. And monthly GRIs are likely also going to start again in late spring and continue through the summer. So for a multitude of reasons, one of which is the lowering warehouse capacity that we've been seeing, we've been seeing inventory levels in warehouses go down. We are expecting long-term rates to remain steadier than we saw throughout this past year. And this is kind of when it gets a little bit tricky because for us, you know, the question of contracting, does it make sense, does it not? This is kind of that crystal ball question, or does it make sense to play the spot market? Um, with that lower capacity in the warehouses, we are expecting there to be just a, a stronger level of imports no matter what. We were working with lower demand over the course of the previous year, but we're also looking at very full warehouses. So even when demand was increasing, it wasn't necessarily seen in the shipping market because those warehouses just shed volume and that kind of met that demand. Now we're looking at a situation where warehouses are a little bit less full than they normally are. Actually, peak season for retailers was back in August, which is sooner than it normally is. Um, so it's a different equation, but with that lower than normal warehouse capacity or warehouse fill <laughs> across the board, we're likely going to be looking at a little bit of normalized shipping patterns. So we'll start to see some of that seasonality coming back. Now, here is the big kind of linchpin in 2024, so to say. So it's consumer spending. And if we don't see a return in consumer spending in a big way, we, we won't have the market pressure that we need to ensure a steady recovery. And I think that's the main thing we need to focus on. So like while we were expecting that in 2024, we're likely going to receive the return of some level of seasonality in the ocean shipping market. It 
that fact is still determinant on this underlying consumer demand, since without a doubt, consumer demand holds the keys to the castle. So inflation, it has been easing in most Western countries, but there is no doubt it's not going to decrease next year. It's still going to remain high during 2024. And spending will therefore be negatively impacted by all these people having a greater share of their income being spent on paying interest, on debt, or just essential goods and services. So the reduction in consumers' purchasing power and a reduction in the consumer's appetite for spending will inevitably impact the level of imported goods. And you can kind of look at this in a few different ways. So the International Monetary Fund, and I'm sure everyone here has heard of them, the IMF is the like is the normal acronym. Um, they're projecting global GDP growth to fall from 3.5 percent, which it was in 2022, to 3 percent for both 2023 and 2024. And to be clear, this growth trajectory is weak by historical standards. So there's another way of kind of slicing this, and you can go trade to GDP. And the trade to GDP multiplier this acts as a measure of relative importance of trade to an economy. And this is true both at a global level, but also at a regional level. So when we look back in the 2000s, the multiplier of trade to GDP was sitting around a two to one. But since the global financial crash back in 2008, 2009, that multiplier has actually been decreased and trending downward each year since then. So now looking at 2024, we're actually predicting that multiplier will be even below par, par at best, but likely below par. So what that means is container shipping demand will grow between that 2 and 3%, but GDP is expected to be at 3%. So to really underscore container shipping volumes, let's just kind of take a look back at August of this year. Why August? Well, last August, container volumes posted their very best month um, of 2023. It was 15.3 million TEUs of goods were transported globally in August. And I did mention a little bit earlier about how peak season for the retail industry was earlier than normal, which was in August. Now, if you add to that good news, August was actually not standing alone. It was the second month in a row, which we had seen year over year volume increases. And if you zoom out and you look at the whole, you know, not to sound excited, but uh, despite that growth in the two months, unfortunately, it still left our year over year volumes for the year to date figure at a negative 3.3%. Now there is a silver lining here and that we did discuss it a bit earlier, but the last couple months of 2022 saw all of those issues and um, we did see demand and shipping volumes aggressively decrease. So we do expect our November and December numbers of this year to be at least on par with last year, if not better than last year, particularly in December, which will likely take that negative 3.3% number and make it a little bit less of a contraction. Um, now, and this is where I've really got to remind you, and I've, I've been saying this lately because Anthony and I have poured through so much data over the course of the year. You get to really see some of the analysts that not to, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a very interesting realm to look at. And you're looking at one piece of a very big picture um, when you're looking at some of these things. But it's important not to solely focus on global trends. It's important not to take a figure such as increased you know, volume in one port as a, you know, as, as just, well, this is great. Oh, shipping recovery is happening. And you've got to remember that, you know, despite a global trend, there can be local and regional anomalies that can actually 
turn that upside down and dramatically shape that entire image. So here's a great example. China and Southeast Asia, the shipments to North America, they saw volumes decrease year over year by 14.3%, just huge. Obviously that's so far. Now, well, if you look at China and Southeast Asia and you look at the trade between them and Europe, we're actually seeing volumes in that lane increase by 3.3%. Now, this, you can even dive a little bit deeper. If you looked at just absolute terms, the biggest loser last year was China, which basically their exports, specifically the exports out of greater China had fallen in total year over year by 1.4 million TEUs. And that does highlight a weakness in demand for Chinese goods. And you know, if you wanna go kind of look at this in a different way, there was this kind of invest your own way to growth strategy and it had driven much of China's non-export related growth. But now it's being revealed that there's a lot of flaws in that strategy. And um, the really the central and also the local government are facing these huge debt burdens. Um, Evergrande and also the like real estate companies are having some challenges at this moment to say in a the lightest possible way. And one of the countries feeling these knock on effects from weaker Chinese economy is Germany. And right now we're expecting to see their GDP fall by 0.3%. And it's gonna be the only major economy in the world that's gonna be shrinking next year. So that's basically, when we kind of think about ocean shipping, my whole point is we really need to see consumer spending back to a stable level. And that will really ensure a stable recovery to ocean shipping, despite you know, massive increases in consumer spending. We still have a lot of factors you need to consider going into 2024, one of which is supply far outpacing demand, but we are expecting some level of returning to seasonality for the next year. So keep that in mind. Remember, we are gonna be having a volatile spot market next year. Contracting rates, we are expecting to be a little bit steadier for a variety of factors, which we mentioned, um, and yeah. Thanks so much for joining. We're gonna discuss the air market next week. It's got its own interestingness to say the very least. And I hope you guys learned something. Let me know if you're, if you're uh, wanting to know a little bit more and I can reach out to you individually. Thanks so much, have a great day.